What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is Dr. Chad Kirksick. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yes, no, thank you for being here. So um, let's go ahead and dive into it. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, your your personal background, uh, academic background, athletics, all of that. Sure. So I uh, grew up in, in uh, southern Illinois, about uh, 30 minutes east of downtown St. Louis. Um, got my uh, bachelor's degree at Truman State University, a, a Division II school up in northeastern, northern, northeastern part of Missouri. Um, got my master's at the University of Memphis. Got my PhD at, at Baylor University in exercise, nutrition, and preventive health. Yeah, so sick and bears. I think sick that's and our, bears. That's our common thread, I think, right? So, yes, sir. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to tell people I'm very proud of the fact that all three of my degrees have the word exercise in them. So I've been I've been interested in that concept for quite some time, really got turned on to the research process uh, throughout my master's degree. I worked with Rick Kreider, who's a fairly prolific dietary supplement researcher, uh, exercise and nutrition researcher. He's at the head of the uh, uh, was head of the department at, at uh, Texas a for quite some time. And now he's just kind of running his lab there. So. But uh, currently work at Lindenwood University, uh, a private school in St. Charles, Missouri, um, about about 30 minutes or 25 minutes or so northwest of, of downtown St. Louis for people that aren't familiar with the geography. Uh, teach in the exercise science undergraduate and graduate program. I direct the exercise and performance nutrition laboratory there. And we um, specialize in conducting clinical research trials that examine the impact of exercise and nutrition interventions on health performance and recovery. Perfect. Awesome. Well, that, uh, that kind of brings up perfectly why I'd like to have you on. So, uh, not too long ago, I came across, um, a review that was published in the journal of the international society of sports nutrition. And a couple weeks ago I had on, uh, Dr. Jose Antonio. So, Mm -hmm. Little little yep. shout out to uh, the ISSN. Um, but anyway, it, it's uh, I've got it got it right here. So mm-hmm. it's uh, the timing of ergogenic aids and micronutrients on muscle and exercise performance. So there's just a, a vast vast expanse, if you will, of supplements and ergogenic aids available on the market today. And you know. Having a, a, a little background in nutritional biochemistry and, uh, you know, Dr. Willoughby was a pretty awesome mm-hmm. uh, professor when it came to that sort of thing. Like he was always um, very, very – he wasn't shy about telling us what things worked really well and what things he thought were completely bogus just based off of things like the theoretical premise or um, mm-hmm. just how biochemistry works. So – um, this specific study caught my eye because I'm always looking for what works. Like what's, it's not the fancy stuff. It's not the sexy stuff. It's rarely, if ever the new stuff, mm-hmm. right? So it's, what does data say works? Because if you're going to look at a, a supplement label and you don't know anything, then you're right. going to believe whatever it says. And, and, you know, everything works according mm-hmm. to the label. So um, I'm really excited to, to just jump through this study with you because um, you, were, you were a part of, of this research group. So um, if you will, uh, tell us a little bit about the study, just kind of the, the, uh, the big strokes, and uh, then we can kind of dive into some of the more uh, the smaller details. Yeah, of course. So this paper overall, um, it is published in the Journal of International Society of Sport Nutrition. Uh, it's free access for anybody that um, would like to read a little bit more. Uh, it was a review article that we put together that ideally was intended to, to try to bring to the surface um, the, the potential timing implications of various nutrients, in particular some non-nutrients as well as some micronutrients. Um, you know, when we discuss nutrient timing overall, there's, you know, the and, 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 and I mean, rightfully so, the, the overwhelming majority of that information centers upon carbohydrates and protein, and, 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 and quite frankly, as it should. So there's, um, but, but the more that we started to do some work with timing, I got involved with the timing discussion 
I was a faculty member at Oklahoma, and I was asked to write the first draft of the ISSM position stand on nutrient timing. So we published that one in 08, and then we redid it again in 17. And in the amount of time from, from 08 to 17, we started to see more literature popping up on timing questions, timing answers that didn't involve carbohydrate and protein. Um, mm. We actually proposed to include this small section in the original timing document, but it, it we just the authors felt like it just kind of cluttered the message a little bit. So, so what we did, we basically pulled it out and then wrote this article as just a, as a as a separate review and um, to really because I think overall when we look at the ingredients that are highlighted within this review article, you know, really none of them, particularly from a timing angle, uh, really none of them are complete bodies of literature. I mean, anywhere near complete. I mean, there are as many questions as there are answers, um, particularly with this type of situation. And, and I think many times with writing, we try to do that. We try to we try to take the information and summarize it so other people can digest it. And hopefully people will read it and think to themselves, wow, like I, I had no idea that, that this nutrient might have some implications for timing. And then maybe that turns into a thesis project or a dissertation or or you know some some you know, um, uh, you know faculty project. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the the basis as to why this topic came about. Um, you know I like timing. I think it's fun. I I, I think it 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 uh, kind of adds another element to it. It definitely. Uh, but but I also think too. You know I think timing has been has been overemphasized. I think mm -hmm. timing has been over, overdone mm -hmm. in the sense that. Primarily in the sense that, and this is, I think if the, the, the listeners could pick up on one thing on timing is I think there's entirely too many people out there that are worried about the timing implications, but they don't have the other parts of the process locked up. They don't have the other parts of the process shored up. And that includes, I mean, optimal rest. That includes optimal training. That includes eating enough calories, much less the carbohydrate, carbohydrate, protein, and fat breakdown of those calories. Because I think if we look at it as a kind of a stair-step building process, if any one of those, you know, particularly training and just optimal energy and and uh, macronutrient distribution are not in place, I would venture to say the timing implications of all these of all these ingredients is going to is going to be close to close to nil, close to mm -hmm. because more so than anything, these these supplements. And, and the timing angle of them um, are, are, are operate best. They're they're best put in a scenario of a of a of a, basically of a good background or good foundation. So gotcha. um, so that I think is you know when you you know when you when you say well well why these ingredients? If you look through it, what, how the heck did they pick iron? Why did they pick bicarbonate? Why did they, mm -hmm. why is nitrates in there? It's just really more of we were we were attempting to summarize the literature bases from an evidence-based practice scenario of timing considerations for nutrients, and we basically all nutrients that are that are that are you know um, included in the scientific literature. So we we dove through, um, did a lot of keyword searches, kind of surrounding you know timing and exercise and so forth, and and we 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 we, we purposefully excluded carbohydrates and protein for this type of an article. So, so that's, that's really why, um, if there were the other thing too, that people have to realize is that, you know, like we're for us, like, a a, a, a timing question is, is truly where the study design was developed to, to, to identify if something was consumed before or after a workout or within a workout, like it was, that they were truly examining a timing question. You know, mm -hmm. just because something is given before exercise doesn't make it a timing question. Hmm. You know, that 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 before exercise has to be compared to post exercise or to during exercise or to, you know, so so that's so that's another thing. If people were to read it and say, well, you know, I think they should have included, um, you know, so like it's like citrulline, citrulline malate, for example, was kind of on the fringe. We had we had a lot of discussions about including that one. Mm -hmm. um, and there just didn't, there just wasn't a, a, a robust enough of um, set of data yet to, for us to for us to include it. So who knows? You know, maybe if we do version two of this type of thing, then you know some other. So again, if you look at it from the from the sense that hopefully people kind of read it 
and they start using it a little bit more. There starts to be more talking about it, and then there's some more studies and more things pop up, and then we have we have a little bit more reason to talk about it as well. Awesome. So uh, this is kind of a maybe a leading question for for those who are watching or listening, but would you say on the whole that um, when it comes to timing, that's going to be more of a priority for athletic populations versus people who just like to work out? I, I, yeah, I think, you know, I think without a question, I, I, I mean, there's, you know, we're, we're still quite honestly, if you put, you know, Alan Aragon, you know, Brad Schoenfeld on the podcast and ask them about timing, you know, cause they've written some very, some very critical, critical assessments just to, just to try to provi- provide, just to provide some balance, I think within the literature um, where, you know, there's, and I think when we've had these discussions and that's probably one of the neatest things about the conferences is you get, you know, you get people like myself and Brad and Sean Arendt and, and you know, Joey Antonio, we get, we all sit around and have a beer and we just start talking about these types of things. And, and I think across the board, we, we all can universally agree that the more, the more elite somebody gets, the more that they're truly tapping out their genetic and physiological potential the more the, the the more of an opportunity things for timing start to become. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the difficult part of the process is that people have to be honest with themselves and where they're at and realize that just because they exercise five days a week and they exercise pretty hard for the 40 minutes that they're in the gym does not put them anywhere near many times the level of athletic potential and the level of, of athletic trauma and training stimulus and everything else that comes from, you know, training the, the, I mean, for much higher intensities, much higher, much higher volumes across every single week of their lives, you know? So, so that's an important consideration. And I think there's a lot of people out there that train really, really hard that think that, 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 that are really trying to do a lot of things right. Um, you know, so that's a, that's always a kind of a, um, a, a a message that we need to try to share because a lot of times it just pisses people off. You know, you're just because you're, <laughs> you're basically telling them like, look, bro, you're you're not you're not elite. You're like this is not like we're having this discussion, but this is really not you. You mm-hmm. know, like, um, and 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 again, I'm not really the one to the one to to really say who is and who who you know who is and who is and shouldn't be kind of involved or it applied to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reality is, is that within everyone's spectrum of genetic and physiological potential, the the more that they get and the harder that they keep going at it, you know, I mean, yeah. Can somebody who goes from, you know, I mean, they keep training harder and harder and harder and, and they keep doing more and more volume. Does this timing theoretically become more important for them? And I, I, I think the answer is yes. Where, it becomes important when it doesn't. I don't think we can ever answer that question because, you know, on one given week, you could be super dialed in to your training, your water, your fluid, your, your recovery. You could have everything locked into place and maybe timing isn't really neat. Maybe you don't need to really do any kind of you know special, you know, kind of timing related implications. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the next week, hey, your, your work schedule might change. Your training schedule might change. The environmental conditions could be di- there could be all kinds of number of things that are different. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, you know, timing may, might take on a little, a little bit more of an importance. Um, so I think overall, I, I like to come back to that because I think over the last several years, I really try to emphasize that more so than not. It's not sexy. It's not what people really want to hear or talk about. But the reality is, is that you've got to make sure, like if this supplementation or timing strategies are going to hold some level of importance, it has to be. It has to happen upon the shoulders of excellent training and excellent, excellent nutrition. You know, I, so the, the size of the effect, the potential effect of the timing of bicarbonate or the timing of caffeine is much, much smaller than the size of the effect of good training and good diet. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so you got to have those things in order really before 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 timing can can really consistently kind of hits hit some benefit across the board. Um, you know, Sean Orrant and his group out of South Carolina just published a paper this week. Uh, Sean's a great talk on on um, timing. And um, 
you know, and, and basically another important perspective, though, and this is kind of looked at it from the other end of the spectrum, because people might have just listened to the last three, four minutes and thought, well, he's not really saying timing is that important. But I think also, too, when you're looking at it from the sense that you're living a life where, you know, every stit, every rep, every second, every fraction of a second is important to you. It yeah. don't matter if you're running a 5K to beat your neighbor or if you're trying to, to, to break a break a world record. Like it doesn't matter, right? If it's if it's important to you, it's important to you. Mm-hmm. Rarely is there a situation where timing will hurt you. Mm. So then so then it just kind of lumps into, well, okay, well, if you're trying to do these things and they're important to you, and timing might help, and there's next to zero evidence, I don't I can't really think of any evidence where it hurts you, then mm-hmm. why would you not do it? Mm-hmm. Why would you not try to take advantage of if it's a little, who cares if it's a little bitty window? I think that's what Julia would say. Who cares? Who cares if it's a window, mm-hmm. you know? So that part of it, I think is also kind of another, another perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, really my, my, my comments more about making sure you have everything else in order is I get involved in entirely too many conversations of people that want to talk about the timing of something and they train two days a week. They train three days, and I'm I'm dead serious. And I don't mean that to to bash them. Mm -hmm. I get that more of them, like you know, they read something in a magazine, they listen to whatever, and and they're 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 just they they need to be told that you know, well, there's other big big parts of this process that we've got to get, you know, we've got to get taken care of, and so that's Mm -hmm. really more so of where my my criticalness comes from because I think people really want to try to gravitate to. Again, like the sexiness of, wow, like if I, you know, I need to ingest my caffeine 60 minutes before because mm-hmm. on the podcast that like that's when the optimal window is. But meanwhile, they haven't done, you know, they haven't run more than two miles in the last, in, you know, I mean, and <laughs> those are all things that people have to have it in order. Like I'm not here to bash people. I'm not. It's just mm-hmm. more there's parts of the there's pieces to the puzzle and those are some pretty big pieces. Yeah, I think uh timing is definitely a priority but it's not the only priority and it's you know maybe not you know may may not even be in the top five you know like like you said before sleep um and focusing on recovery ensuring that you're getting enough calories actually training intensely and and applying a training stimulus like the the timing and the recovery stimulus means nothing if you're not putting the training in first. So yeah, and um, I just yeah, and I think what you just said there, I'm not gonna take long, but what you just said there, like that 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 people can experience a hell of a lot of gains in whatever they're trying to do if they just stick to that that process right there. Mm-hmm. Um, just hit play, repeat, play, repeat, play, repeat. So So for those who who are doing that, they can get uh they can learn quite a bit right now uh going over some of these specific ingredients and ergogenic aids so um let's start off with caffeine you you briefly mentioned it so tell us a little bit about that and uh how it improves performance and yeah um, so i think you know caffeine um obviously one of the more one of the probably the most popular drug consumed in the world worldwide for centuries um works in kind of a number of mechanisms um affects our uh, uh, affects what what fuels we use for exercise a little bit it also affects kind of um, some of the um, stimulation of our nervous system as well so it so it works by oh it 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 interacts with uh, with some with some key receptors of a molecule called um, um, adenosine uh, we don't really need to dive and dive into that I, I don't think that 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 deep but I think mm-hmm. you know what does it do? How does it improve performance? I mean, I think caffeine historically has had a much larger literature base surrounding kind of endurance related types of activities where we'll see with prolonged bouts of exercise, uh, people are just able to pedal longer or run longer. They're able to maintain higher, higher power outputs or, or if there's, again, if they're cycling or running cover, cover greater distances and, you know, a shorter period of time. So if you're running a 5k, your 5k time goes down, you're, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're, but then also, on the, the psychological side of things, we consistently see kind of like a reduction in the perception of effort. Mm. So if people are using caffeine, uh, a, a standardized workload just feels easier. You know, so you might be doing a pretty hard, 
you know, 45, 45 minute bout of cycling at eight, you know, 80% of, 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 of watt max or whatnot, but like your RPE, your rating of perceived exertion, how hard it feels. If you just do a simple rating to yourself with caffeine, it typically feels a little bit easier. So maybe you're able to pedal a little bit harder because it's mm. easier. So you're able to go a little bit faster. So um, we've started to see some literature pop up more so with uh, resistance exercise, I'd say in the last 10 to 15 years or so. And um, a few more studies that are showing that it, it might have some benefit to help improve like one rep max type uh, activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely some pretty good evidence to show that it can probably help with like the number of repetitions performed to failure. Uh, so if you're doing, you know, you're training in the gym, sets to failure, doing set, you know, um, and you know, you, you kind of do like a max, like a max rep set or something like that. And usually with caffeine, we're, we're saying, you know, just, you know, just, to, um, uh, people are able to perform a few more reps o- overall. So that was actually that of these nutrients, this one probably has the most evidence from a timing perspective. So there's been, there's a nice cycling study that was done where they, they gave a standardized dose of caffeine two hours before. Uh, one hour before, and I think maybe like five minutes before, or something like that. I think it was in the form of chewing gum, so it was able mm-hmm. to kind of get absorbed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And they found um, um, that one hour before was best. That actually led us, our group, I had a, a, a master student did a thesis project looking at um, with like some resistance exercise works. So we used did a did a kind of a um, a bout of leg extensions, and we we dosed. Uh, two hours before, one hour before, or 30 minutes before, and it was, um, and and again, we also found that that um, one hour before was best. So I think from a timing perspective, one hour, 45 to 60 minutes before seems to be kind of the best, uh, the, the best angle, the best mm-hmm. timing perspective. Um, you know how much, man, I tell you what, people oftentimes are surprised at the dosages that are used within, within um, research studies. You know, in this perspective, caffeine doses are usually quite a bit higher than mm-hmm. what are commonly consumed. You know, mm-hmm. so you might look at a Starbucks coffee and think, oh, my God, that's so much caffeine or, you know, like a, a big, you know, a fairly dosed up, you know, energy drink, you know, 12 ounce can of an energy drink or something that might deliver 300 milligrams, 350 milligrams, which is pretty high dose for mm-hmm. uh, And I mean, it's, you know, the most common dosage within the literature is somewhere around like you know, three to six milligrams per kg of body mass. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm, you know, I weigh about 220 pounds, so I'm right at 100 kilos, you know? So, I mean, that's 300 to 600 milligrams in one dose for me. <laughs> uh, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, yes, I'm larger than the average person, but even if you take my body, cut it, cut it by third, you know, and now you're looking at, you know, 200 to 400 milligrams. I mean, whew, those are, you know, for, for, for larger, for smaller people, those are, those are, you know, those are consistently pretty high dosages. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's literature that takes it all the way up to eight milligrams, nine milligrams per kg. Wow. And the part of it too, that we always talk about is people need to realize like that's, it's straight up pure caffeine. Like mm-hmm. you know, coffee, for example, has as many chemicals in it that somewhat kind of negate the effects of caffeine as it does to actually promote the effects. So, you know, so, so the actual, caffeine milligram dosage of, of like if, you know if it's delivered in coffee is is always thought to be a little bit less and you know we don't really get into that discussion but it's more of just having an appreciation that it's straight up caffeine that yeah. we're you're, you're dosing so um you know so yes yeah, so i think when i kind of look at the, the different questions that you asked me i mean i think that that kind of covers a lot of the, the different parts that, that you were interested in do you have any is that right yeah i think that that pretty much covers it uh the one other thing i I wanted to bring up about caffeine is um, so just about all of this deals with with uh, the timing and the results on performance. And I remember a couple years ago I was at um, a Dimatize sponsored nutrition conference here in Dallas, and I think it was actually actually Dr. Sean Arendt who brought up this idea that um, ingesting caffeine after training had a had a profound effect on glycogen replenishment. Do you, and I, I don't, like I said, this was years ago. I don't remember the study. Um, I don't know if there's been any other research looking into that, but is that, um, is there a potential benefit there as well? Yeah, Kevin, I think I spoke at that conference on beta alanine. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, but um, yeah, so when we look at post-exercise ingestion of caffeine with glycogen or synthesis, 
Um, really cool study. Um, what's interesting to and it's interesting to me that there's just that's really the only study that's been done. Mm. Uh, and it's funny that you you mentioned that topic right on the heels of me saying really high dosages of caffeine because so it was Peterson and it was published in 2008 in Journal of Applied Physiology and they did so they just like a standardized bottle cycling they dosed with they they gave a standardized dose of carbohydrate so like a just basically a, you know like a, um, um, efficacious post-exercise dose of carbohydrate to, that, that has been shown to stimulate glycogen resynthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in another condition, they added eight milligrams per kg of caffeine to it. So how they came up with eight milligrams per kg, I'm not really quite sure. Like that would be a fascinating discussion. Um, but what was, what was, what's amazing about that is there's, to my knowledge, um, that study showed the fastest rates of glycogen resynthesis that have ever been reported in the published literature. Mm -hmm. Um, So that brings in some really, really fascinating perspectives and proposals from a performance nutrition perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, so like, for example, um, we've got a, we've got a pretty good rugby program here. You take like rugby sevens. I'm just using rugby as a, as a, as a, it's more of the example is more about the, the, the types of the types of activities in competition, but like a rugby sevens tournament from what I've heard about them, you know, they'll be, they might play six or seven games within a, within a, within a four day window, you know, mm-hmm. three to four day window. So they're, so that's where, you know, this, this caffeine strategy definitely creates a situation where after your morning event, you know, if you were to take some, you know, take some caffeine because you might have another game two hours later, you know, that could, that could absolutely be a favorable, effective strategy to help promote maximal, you know, basically maximal levels of glycogen, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, there's strategies we can do to speed that recovery process up, but getting fatigued, getting dehydrated, damaging your muscles, all of that slows that process down. So again, any strategy that you can employ, kind of looking at it from the long game, um, you know, because very, I mean, it, it, it's 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 certainly quite possible that the team that has the, the higher glycogen stores, you know, towards the end, particular, you know, I mean, certainly could, you know, if it's fairly evenly matched from a coaching and physical perspective, that might make a difference. And so that that is an interesting concept. You think of, um, you know, so I, that for me. That 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 study speaks to particularly to athletes that are going to be doing like multiple competitions within within a day, because mm-hmm. um, the thing you got to be careful with about something like that is you have to imagine you know somebody does you know I mean like a you know like a, a afternoon event or competition or especially like an evening event or competition and you give you know I mean 600 to 900 milligrams of caffeine to somebody I mean they're going to have an extremely hard time going to bed. Yeah restful high quality restorative sleep so mm-hmm. now so that's just so that's that's just a perfect example where people like you got to think like you, you have to sit there and think about what you're doing you can't just you know kind of basically read a headline and think oh i'm going to do that and and not even you know and then you, you literally you're you know you, you you simply can't go to bed because of because of a you know i'm in a super high dose of caffeine delivered at you know five o'clock at night after like an afternoon training session so you know, so I think those are, but it's, so there's a, you know, I think that's another, that's another strategy. I think from a follow-up standpoint, like why somebody hasn't done, you know, a six milligrams per kg or four milligrams per kg just to see, to, to see where it's at. Cause you know, I mean, shoot, what if it's, what if it's a relatively small dose that, mm-hmm. that's triggering that response? I don't, you know, I'd have to look at the, look at the literature, I think a little bit more. Yeah. That, that whole idea. So I work with a lot of uh endurance athletes here in dallas and a lot of them will do their long run saturday morning and then you know before all this corona stuff happened they'd all go to starbucks and they'd all have coffee right like i was just i never thought that that was a good idea i was like you drink it before and then you're gonna have a better run but then i you know i heard about that study and i'm like oh well maybe as long as they're consuming some carbohydrate at the same time maybe they're actually doing themselves a huge favor so who knows? Yeah. Um, so, all right, well, let's jump into dietary nitrates. Absolutely. Well, I think overall, uh, so this would be kind of one that is that has a much less developed literature base, but I think 
the the studies that are popping up for it um, are there's one group in um, over in Europe that are just doing a phenomenal job but just doing really really well conducted studies and so I think overall when we look at dietary nitrates you know where we we're basically we're we're we're, we're wanting to increase the production of um, you know through like nitric oxide is kind of one of basically one of the mechanisms overall but nitrates have been shown to help like reduce the 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 oxygen cost of, of exercise so what that means to just practically speaking is if we go out and go on a bike ride and it takes you know we have to consume I'm just gonna throw a number out you know like three liters of oxygen a minute to 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 provide enough oxygen for us to continually to continually do that activity mm-hmm. with and without nitrates, that number, that three liters a minute is going to come down. Mm-hmm. So you have to consume less oxygen to perform the same amount of work. And that that is that's that's favorable because you're just you're burning it, you're just you're you're uh, so that was kind of one of one of the initial uh, aspects as to as to as to you know kind of why it might be important and why it might be working so they first found kind of the the mechanism and then a lot of then it had then it transitions into performance and it's like okay well great like this 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 reduction in oxygen cost like that sounds fun it's it's great but does it improve my performance i mean a lot of right that's that's all an athlete really cares about like i can talk about the mechanisms all that they want they don't really care if Mm -hmm. it's it's not going to help their performance and and um and there's there's been you know, there's been a number of studies that consistently show some different types of improvement in exercise. It's definitely been uh, on slanted towards the kind of endurance realms of performance, as well as kind of some of the, you know, like interval type, you know, programs of exercise where we've got bouts of higher, you know, higher intensity, lower intensity. We're not really seeing much from the, uh, within kind of like the resistance training side of things. And it's not, I'm not saying it's not working. It's mm-hmm. just science hasn't, hasn't worked its way over there yet. Um, so, you know, so that's kind of what we're, you know, where, you know, how do dietary, you know, how do they differ from some of the supplements that claim to boost, you know, nitric oxide? So yeah, but that's the interesting part. Sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but it's so interesting that like the, there seems to, to be this, uh, if not anecdotally, at least some evidence showing that on the dietary side, like eating beets and eating uh, these vegetables that contain these high concent- or higher concentration of nitrates have a, have a decently profound effect. But um, like when I was in grad school, everything was nitric oxide producing supplements and it was all, right. you know, L-arginine alpha ketoglutarate and all this other stuff. And so it's interesting that at the time there was no beat supplements for endurance athletes. It was all, hey, you've got to take this to increase your pump. It was all specifically targeted for uh, for bodybuilding and for strength athletes, I guess. So um, it's interesting how that you know the tables kind of turned there. Um, yeah. So yeah. And well, and I and I think overall, so like on the bodybuilding side of things you know, with like increasing pump and everything else. So many of these, you know, the ingredients that are out there, like citrulline malate, um, uh, arginine off ketoglutarate and so forth. So they'll, they'll work to increase the production of a molecule called nitric oxide, which interacts with kind of the smooth muscle in our arteries. And it, it's been shown to, to basically kind of stimulate vasodilation mm-hmm. of those, of those, um, basically of that tissue and what results is we we've seen reports of um, improvements in blood flow so that that thought theoretically right has has has, has transitioned then into uh, okay well with improved blood flow you know that will help to facilitate removal of byproducts and metabolic waste and also help to kind of usher in the delivery of um, you know, of more oxygen, more nutrients, more favorable types of things as well. So, so that's kind of the, the overall basis of it. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of why it's, why it's basically linked to performance 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's what's interesting is is that within that realm within bodybuilding, there's there's relatively limited literature to support um, you know, whether that's really kind of impacting performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there. The, 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 we certainly haven't seen as as, good, as a well-designed study as what we could have. A lot of times, it's it's um it's some different you know like you know uh, like pre-workouts or you know or like a multi-ingredient product type mm-hmm. of a supplement that has a, a number of different uh, ingredients mixed with it. So you're not really sure if it's the caffeine that's in it or the creatine that's in it or or you know the citrulline malate that's in it. And we and sometimes we we've, we've We've seen some reports of an improved kind of improvements in performance along those lines, um, you know. But I think on the nitrate side of things, there's definitely um, some some evidence that 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 starts to point towards, you know, like I said, the the, the consumption consumption of um, you know, inorganic nitrate in the form of you know, beets, you know, you know, beet roots, and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been shown to help kind of improve some some different aspects of um, uh, endurance performance as well. So um, I'm trying to think of you know kind of other you know as far as like the um, you know when I kind of look at the the practical you know kind of the practical implications of it. I mean we we we've certainly kind of kind of kind of you know kind of spoken around about that um, you know where we're you know we. We potentially might see some improvements in blood flow and kind of, you know, uh, kind of thoughts about recovery. We've seen, you know, we kind of see some, um, you know, uh, some improvements in endurance performance as well. But I think overall, it's important for everybody to understand that the body of literature here is not is not as well developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this 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 new this was actually one that I remember speaking with Richie and, and uh, Richie Stecker, the first author, uh, and um, uh, the other authors on the paper, and being a little bit critical of, do we even include this one? Do we even mm-hmm. include that from a timing perspective, when it's being ingested, is it making a difference? And there, and there, there, there is starting to, you know, we definitely want to try to consume that beforehand, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it doesn't really, load up in the body, if you will. So it's 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 similar to bicarbonate in the sense that if we consume it pre-exercise, it can it can it can change the composition of our blood and, and potentially have an impact. Awesome. Well then let's transition to uh to an ingredient that has a a huge body of evidence, creatine monohydrate. Absolutely. I mean you're right. Um you know, Rick Kreider, my mentor through my master's and PhD, uh, has done just a phenomenal amount of work as, as, as others have. I mean, you know, a couple of quick statements about creatine that I'd love to share. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, people, I've heard many scientists say that, you know, creatine monohydrate is the dietary supplement that gives the entire industry relevance. Um, <laughs> I, and, you know, and, and, and it, they just, it, it's true. I mean, there yeah. are there are there's hundreds of published studies on it so i think overall if you have people that are saying oh there's not any science on it they they simply don't know what they're talking about um you know i, I when you look at it from like a, a clinical perspective and i think this isn't really enlightening to a lot of people there's probably more research being done on the therapeutic implications of creatine monohydrate now than there are on the on the ergogenic implications the performance enhancing implications and and people that just live in the exercise world that just that just I mean blows their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I've heard a number of different clinical clinical researchers with more medical training say that if that if our body didn't readily produce the amount of creatine that it did with its widespread need uh, or widespread you know areas of importance across our physiology, it would it it would be, it would it would likely be classified as a vitamin. Wow. Uh, so you look at so that's a pretty cool statement as well too. Now. You know, I think a lot of people get interested in, um, you know, the different types of creatine. I think that's an area where the industry has um, tried to provide some um, some other players, I guess, if you will. The overwhelming majority of the literature is with creatine monohydrate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, you know, like um, alkalinized creatine or crealkaline, you know, um, creatine ethyl ester. 
Mm-hmm. Creatin, you know, we, there's a creatin phosphate, a creatin citrate. I think, you know, I don't know if there's a creatin hypochlorite or um, so. So there's there's been some different, you know, of those different types. Like we did a study at, at, at Baylor that com- that stacked monohydrate against ethyl ester. Um, they didn't see any difference between the two groups. Both of the groups basically, you know, led, led to the traditional improvements in, in strength and fat-free mass. Andrew Jagum did a, did a study at Texas A&M comparing monohydrate against, against crealkaline and saw similar outcomes. So I think across the board, when you look at the cost to benefit ratio, um, it, it's heavily tilted towards creatine monohydrate. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh, many times the, the later formulations have taken the angle of it improves gut comfort. It helps to reduce cramping, you know, kind of stomach cramps and bloating and things along those lines. Um, and there just hasn't been enough systematic evidence to refute or agree with that. I think there's individual, you know, people are individuals and we all have different aspects of our physiology. And I've certainly heard from a number of people that, you know, taking a dose of creatine, it, it upsets their stomach, it, it causes, you know, so I, there, we, it keeps happening enough to know that in some people that it's, that it's, that it's, a, that it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a controlled scientific angle, there's just really nothing to say that, that one type of, you know, creatine uh, is better than the other from, um, uh, from a gut comfort, and then from a performance enhancing perspective, I mean, I think you get that creates a mono, you get that molecule inside your body and let it do what it does, and I, I think the body kind of takes care of the rest. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, from a what does it do, like physiologically, biochemically? I mean, it, it the simplest way to put it is it, it helps our body to rapidly remake ATP. I think that's just the the simplest way to put it. We consume creatine, a molecule inside our muscle increases by about 30%. That's called phosphocreatine. And then phosphocreatine is used by our by our by our energy systems to help remake ATP. That's just, I think, the basic way to, to try to describe it. Um, you know, so there's, you know, it, it from our, what outcomes can you expect? I mean, so we're 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 definitely zeroed in on kind of a more of a, a high intensity exercise domain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, performing greater amounts of work, you know, sets to failure, um, you know, interval type of work, higher amounts of peak power, total work performed across multiple sets and so forth. We, within a resistance training context, you know, you mentioned, Dar- you, know, um, you know, you mentioned Darren Willoughby before. He's done a, a couple of just marvelous studies when he was a faculty member at Texas Christian. They're just really well designed, really clear focus studies that just helped to, you know, help to highlight the fact that, that, that you know, creates an does increase strength that that supplemented creatine does increase you know fiber size it does in, increase the composition of a number of different components of our muscle that help with muscle hypertrophy it's not you know and i think he primarily did those because people would still would say and unfortunately still say you know the, the weight that's gained from creatine oh it's just water weight it pulls water in it's just it's not really doing anything with muscle all it's doing is making you kind of bloated or whatever else and um there's actually a paper published, but just within the last month or so, that that looked at the the, the body water changes after creates a supplementation and, and really kind of and I haven't read it closely. It was just more of looking at the abstract, but it's just kind of kind of supporting the fact that that the the, the water movement that occurs with with supplementation um, was not within the extracellular domain. It was it was it was inside the, it was inside the cells and so forth. They did a little bit more detailed analysis. Um, but you know, so I, I, when I, when I look at it across the board, I mean, I think the simplest way for me to describe creatine is there is no safer, no more effective dietary supplement for an athlete that wants to increase performance from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're, you know, if you're like a, a, a true Olympic power lifter or a, um, or like Olympic weightlifter, you know, where you're doing one rep of squat or deadlift or one rep of clean and jerk or snatch, creatine may not do much for you in that mm-hmm. moment because mm-hmm. your, 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 your activity is done in three seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, now the training leading up to that where you can do that one huge movement, I, we, now we can have a conversation. 
Uh, and then obviously on the other side of things, we're looking at endurance, ultra endurance, you know, you know triathletes and things along those lines. Um, creatine would not be one of the first supplements that I that I you know that I would you know add to their regimen. Um, and I think many of them would 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 get a little bit nervous about the weight gain. And let's be honest, if you gain three four pounds and you have to carry it across 150 miles, like I, that's why you know I mean you could, so that's a that's a decent argument, I think as yeah. well too. With with endurance athletes, because that's that's kind of my background and that's the majority of athletes, adult athletes that I work with. Um, I tend to, I tend to play devil's advocate on, on that whole line of thinking and saying, okay, well, don't you want to go into your event as hydrated as possible? And, and like you said, it's, it's intracellular. So now you've got this water within your muscle, which means the total pressure within the muscle is higher, which means you can exert more force. Um, maybe that's not so bad, not such a bad thing. If you're on a bike where your weight really doesn't matter that much, maybe, you know, maybe that's actually a good thing. If you're running, yeah, you've got a little extra weight to carry, but, um, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not convinced that, it's such a negative effect if you're utilizing it throughout the course of your of your training, you know, your total training uh, cycle or phase, if you will. But um, there, yeah, it's endurance sports are are rife with well uh, that, with worry I, about weight. So yeah, and I think what needs to happen there is that you know, again, like those endurance athletes need to need to realize full well that many times the the, the the drastic improvements in strength and fat-free mass that we see with creatine supplementation, um, you know, it, it is you know, th there's a, there's a huge training stimulus component that's going on with how that athlete's training, and and you know, and, and endurance athletes are training in a different manner. So so the, the my point is, so the magnitude of the weight gain or fat-free mass accretion that we would see isn't going to happen with with an endurance athlete because they're simply not they're not providing that type of a stimulus. Mm -hmm. um and you know and they're 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 so creatine's benefits are so widespread across the cell and across different tissues um uh, it'll you know though i i i i think there's 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 still days ahead where people will start to examine just i mean more specific endurance questions across the board you know because mm -hmm. maybe it's not you know maybe it's less about the performance on that given day, but it's more of it's it's more about your body's ability to withstand the training rigors of a traditional endurance training regimen. Mm. Maybe that's where it's at. You know, maybe yeah. it's not about just getting on the bike and cranking out power, uh, and it's more about being able to withstand, you know, the the overall training calendar to put you in a all that damage. Yeah, you know, I you, you have to be open minded to it. Uh, you know, but but I think overall. Um, energetically, you, you, it definitely makes the most sense to look at and, and to look at an anaerobic athlete, but, but that does not mean that we exclude certain athletes just because, because we know, so there's, uh, so that's what I mean. I think overall, um, the, you know, the creatine work initially hyper-focused in on that, that area. And we kind of clearly got some evidence that it helps within that anaerobic domain, then it's really we have there's not as much creatine work being done to right now to be mm -hmm. honest with you. everyone's just kind of accepted the fact that it works um you know the other thing that i'll that i'll say uh, on, on creatine because i think it needs to be said is um there's absolutely no evidence within the scientific literature that in, in, in people that don't have any underlying health conditions that it's that it's harmful to your health mm -hmm. there's 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 well controlled randomized double blind placebo controlled studies that have that have been conducted for the purpose of examining safety and there's nothing that consistently pops up. The media would be all over it if something well controlled and substantiated came about, you know, because they jump on it. If, you know, Joe Blow on the weekend gets, you know, goes into the hospital and has muscle cramps and, you know, and he was taking creatine, it's likely going to be on usatoday.com on Monday. I mean, it's yep. just, you know, and that's me being <laughs> about it. But that's just, you know, so I think, um, you know, so I, for people that are concerned about it from a safety angle, I would, um, I, I would caution them that if they're, if they're healthy, they have no underlying, um, you know, 
kind of medical medical concerns or conditions or diseases, there's nothing in the literature to say that, that they should have a problem. Gotcha. So, for the sake of time, I I wish oh. we could cover everything else. You know, the 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 study covered iron, calcium, sodium bicarbonate, beta alanine, some others. Um, but I mean, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, if you're, if, I mean, if the response to this was good, I mean, let's just, I mean, just send me a message. Let's just set up part two. Perfect. Let's just I love do that. it. I mean, I don't, you know, awesome. we can follow up with some of the other things and, and kind of go from there. So, um, cool. but yeah, I, I do apologize for kind of having to cut it short, but, um, you know, but I think overall, uh, it's a, it's a neat topic and, um, you know, like I said, hopefully you'll get some feedback or some questions. We can cover some more things as well too. So. Awesome. So real quick, can you, uh, share with everybody, how can we follow you, your work, uh, Instagram, Twitter, any of that stuff? I, Kevin, I'm one of those academics who really doesn't do a very good job on social media. Um, I've got, I mean, I've, um, um, I've, I'm on Facebook. It's just my first name, last name, Chad Kirksick, um, at Chad Kirksick, at, um, on um, Instagram and Twitter. I honestly don't use Instagram uh, hardly. I, I mean, I don't, I, and I'm just being honest. So like if somebody's all excited and think they're going to, I'm, I'm going to, they're going to be very disappointed. Um, it's absolutely the part of, I guess, you know, my, my lab or my brand or whatever the heck you, how, you know, that I'm not doing as much as, as what I could. Um, but I, I just, I haven't figured out how to, how to find the time yet to do that. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm out there. Like I said, I, but if, if I, I mean, I will say if somebody messages me through Facebook and it's a, it's, it's, um, I, you know, I will, uh, you know, I'll respond to them. So, awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Dr. Kirksick, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I'd love to have you on again to, to discuss the rest. Yeah. So. Let's do it. Just circle back and um, we can do it sooner than later. It's up to you. Awesome. Sounds okay. great. All, All right, y'all. Right. Thanks Take for care. watching and listening. You and, betcha. Uh, Take care, everybody. Yeah. Adios. Bye-bye.